Well, hello, friends. Uh, my name's Brad, and I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And so whether you're in the room with us or whether you're joining us uh, online, I want to extend a warm uh, welcome to you. And it's uh, our privilege to have you with us as we dive further into our teaching series in the month of January called The Power of Routine, Habits of Purpose in an Age of Distraction. And we're looking this month at habits and the way in which habits shape us, the way in which they form us, they create the fabric of our lives. And we talked last week a little bit about the fact that it's important to think about habits because our, our lives are shaped much more by our habits than they are by our hopes or by our New Year's resolutions or intentions. And when it comes to habits, one of the most interesting things, if you ever get the opportunity, is to get up close to somebody who is really a master of whatever it is that they do and to kind of poke a little bit into their habits. How do they organize their life and their thinking and their craft? Uh, and to see their daily rituals, the habits that allow them to actually exercise their skill at the highest level. Level. So I can think of a, a couple of examples that I've had opportunity to get up close to. One is actually my brother. Uh, my brother is a mechanic and he's a master mechanic. And so when I look at his habits, when he organizes himself for a job, everything is within arm's reach. He knows all the tools that he needs and he has them like quite disciplined set out. When you compare that to my workshop and my tools and my habits where I'm forever laying something down, I can't remember where I put it again and spend three quarters of the time on the job trying to remember where that one screwdriver is that I need, our habits are very, very different when they come to the ability then to actually execute on the task. Uh, another example that I can think of is uh, observing the habits of my great aunt. Uh, her name was Jane, and she was a master painter. She was a landscape artist and highly successful one. And looking at how she organized her day if she was going to paint, the way in which she would prepare her easel and her sketches and the brushes that she would bring with her and lay them all out in just the right way so that she knew and was ready for exactly what the day would bring when the light struck her subject in a particular way. Contrast that to how I usually am if I'm struck by any artistic level of inspiration and it's totally sporadic and it's not a very good sketch and looks like a stick person anyways. But her habits that she developed over a long period of time, her discipline as an artist, allowed her to succeed at a very high level as an accomplished landscape artist. And when you look at people who are good at what they do, who are successful at their craft, oftentimes you look at their habits and you see a series of small actions that they take on a regular and repeated basis to allow them to develop and deepen their skills and that allows them to rise to a level of proficiency and uh, credibility and notoriety in the process, whether it's a highly skilled nurse, or whether it is a pilot doing a pre-flight checklist, they've developed a set of habits and routines that allows them to accomplish things with excellence that we might not be able to do if it was just left to chance. 
And so one of the things that I've been wondering about as we prepared for this teaching series is the question, did Jesus have habits? If we were to look at Jesus' life, could we discern any patterns of thinking, behaving, engagement? Do we see Jesus doing things regularly that we could look at and say, ah, that is one of Jesus' habits that then we could develop in our own life if we want to grow and seek to follow Jesus more closely? And I think that if you look through the gospel accounts, the four gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, and you read them with that lens, you begin to see things that Jesus did on a regular basis that actually would form and shape the habits of Jesus' life. And like all habits, they emerge from the soil of repetition, from doing things over and over again. And so you see things when you read through the accounts of Jesus' life that he did on an ongoing basis that we might label habits. And Jesus often uses analogies in his teaching to help us understand what he's doing. And uh, I want you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Luke chapter 6 for an example of this. Jesus uses the analogy of a tree and fruit, an agricultural analysis analogy. And he talks about if you want to have a good tree, meaning a good life, which bears good and healthy fruits, then you want to think about what are the things that you're putting into that soil on an ongoing basis. And so uh, looking in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45, Jesus says, the following, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. Verse 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good Heart And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And so one of the implications of what Jesus is saying here, a good person produces good things from the treasury of things that are stored in their heart. What flows out of you on a day-to-day -day basis, your words, your actions are actually the product of and connected to what you have chosen to put into you. And healthy habits, healthy spiritual practices, are things that are a way of investing good things into the soil of your life so that you can produce good fruit on an ongoing basis. And so one of the questions that is a great question to ask ourselves as we come to places of moments of reflection like January and a new year is, what are the patterns of my life? And what are these patterns actually producing? Am I producing the kind of fruit in my life that I want to see on an ongoing basis? And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he had some rhythms that he invested in putting good things into the soil of his life so that good things could come out of his behavior and his actions. 
And uh, some of these habits bear exploration. And there's two good books on this topic that examine the life of Jesus through the lens of Jesus' habits. One is called simply The Habits of Jesus by Jay Dennis. And the other is called The Jesus Priorities by Christopher, Christopher Markle. Uh, and Markle, in his book, I think makes a helpful observation that I want to quote. He says this, quote, Isolated incidences reveal very little about an individual, but reflecting on patterns of behavior reveal the content of a person's character and the values that a person holds. The way that we spend our time and our resources is an expression of our values. Jesus told us this himself when he taught that, quote, each tree is known by its own fruit, Luke 6, 44. So, reflecting on how Jesus spent his time should be instructive because it gives us insight into Jesus' values. What did Jesus say over and over again? What did he do repeatedly? And so the way that any one person, including Jesus, spends their time, spends their resources, is a window or a lens into their values. Just like it would be if someone spent time with you and I and explored, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your resources? And if we read through the Gospels, I want to suggest that uh, using some of the uh, language of Miracle's book, uh, that there are at least five habits that Jesus put in place in his life, that if we wanted to put healthy habits in place in our lives would be a good place to start. And some of these are not so much to-do habits. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But they're more mindset kind of habits. So let's dive in. And I want you to think as we explore each one, how true is this of me, of my life, and my rhythm? So the first habit, if you were to read through all of the gospel accounts and look at all of the things that Jesus did, the thing that he did more than any other single action or activity that's recorded is he healed people. Jesus had a habit and a practice of compassion. When you look at verses like Mark 1, verse 41, it says this, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched the man who was in front of him and said, I am willing, be healed. Or Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd and as he stepped out of the boat, he had compassion on them and Matthew says he healed their sick. Compassion characterized the way that Jesus moved through his day and moved through his life. And as I looked at that, I began to ask myself the question, is my life characterized by compassion? I'm finding, I don't know about you, but I'm finding that more challenging than ever in the season of life that we're in right now. Because one of the things I know about my life is that if I'm going to have compassion, it means that I need margin in order to have compassion for myself and for others around me. And so one of the habit checks that I'm still working on this January is to look at my calendar and see, 
If I think about 2022, do I have margin sufficiently built into my life? Or have I taken on or said yes to too many things that would make it such that I'm moving through my day and through this year with such a pace that I actually do not have the time and the resources necessary to be compassionate to people around me? Because I know that if I overschedule myself, I push too hard, and when I sense myself pushing too hard, my compassion goes down for people around me. When I sense myself waning in compassion, any intrusion into my schedule feels like an inconvenience as opposed to an opportunity to see if that person might need an expression of Jesus' compassion. And the pace that Jesus set in his life was certainly purposeful, but it was very person-centric. And this seems to have allowed Jesus to tap into this resource of compassion more deeply and demonstrably and readily than I sometimes can. And so as we start yet another challenging season together, maybe pause and just ask yourself, what is your current compassion capacity? in this season. We're in a season where more compassion is needed in your interaction with everyone, whether it's teachers or retail workers or family members. Can I admonish you, Jericho, lead with compassion in every conversation this week. Compassion needs to come from somewhere, though, and it comes from somewhere deeper than just a slow-down schedule. That's helpful, obviously, but if we look at the life of Jesus, one of the habits that undergirds and gives rise to this level of capacity for compassion is a daily rhythm of prayer. And so that's the second habit that we see Jesus engaged in. Jesus was daily in active conversation with God. And these active conversations look very differently. Some of them are quite long. Some of them are quite short. Some of them are very structured. Some of them are very unstructured. Some of them are just Jesus saying uh, and, and praying out of almost seeming like a place of frustration and expressing that to God. Some of them are discerning prayers where Jesus pauses, spends an extended period of time in prayer, seeking God's will. Some of them are expressing need on behalf of others or praying for other people. And, and I just love that sense of incredible variety that Jesus models for us because sometimes I find myself praying the same kinds of prayers over and over and over again. And if you were to, to take the accounts that we have of Jesus' life in the Gospels, and you were to actually try and calendar them out in some way, you would see a number of blocks of time in Jesus' calendar that were set aside for intentional times of prayer. This was uh, what we would call a keystone habit for Jesus. It allowed other habits to flourish, like a habit of compassion. And so I want to pause for a moment and just press into this and ask us to think about a few ways that if you were to say to yourself, you know what, I would like to grow in my capacity to make prayer as a habit in my life in 2022, what would that actually look like? So I'm going to suggest a few ideas for us 
to consider. Some may work for you, some may not. So some are just things that I'm experimenting with and trying and would invite you to think about the same. So here's one idea. If you feel stuck, maybe just borrow someone else's prayer. Use written prayers. Maybe, for example, the Book of Common Prayer. So depending on the tradition that you grew up in, you might have prioritized spontaneous, heartfelt prayer as the highest uh, expression of prayer in, in a passionate relationship with Jesus. And so borrowing someone else's written prayers to you might feel odd in some way. It might almost feel inauthentic to borrow prayers, to talk to God. But there's a really a rich and powerful tradition of written prayers for personal and corporate use that you can draw on as a Christian community. I love it. I was reading a newsletter this week by uh, author Emily P. Friedman, and she said in her newsletter, quote, I have realized the gifts and relief that can come from accessing borrowed prayers. When uncertainty permeates the moment, whether because of a devastating tragedy nationally, a personal season of doubt, a regular practice of praying familiar words not only counts, but can actually be a radical act of faith. End quote. So, with respect to borrowing prayers, just find something that works for you. I love, uh, for example, uh, the Common Prayer app. It gives you just a little prayer prompt each day that is from a wonderful and storied resources from the historic Christian community. I also own more copies uh, for a low church pastor of the Book of Common Prayer than is reasonable for any one human being. Uh, but you might have another prayer that might uh, work in your season of life. There was a whole season of life for me where the Lord's Prayer, every night I would go in and just pray the Lord's Prayer with each of our kids over them as they went to sleep. You're just borrowing the prayers of Scripture that Jesus taught us to pray then. And so sometimes using written prayers can be a way of vitalizing, not uh, our prayer life, not just making it into a dry routine. So that might be something that you want uh, to try. Another idea might be to use alarms and reminders. We do this in all other areas of our life. If something is important to us, an appointment that we have, we put it into our calendar, and then often you'll set an alarm or a reminder about it. And I have a friend who sets an alarm on his phone every day at 10.02 a.m., and the reason he does this is he pauses in his day and he actually then takes that opportunity to pray through the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 2, where Jesus says this, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray, therefore, to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. And my friend became convicted. He's like, I'm not actually actively praying very often for God to send more workers into the harvest. How would I do that? He's like, well, why don't I just set an alarm on my phone at 10.02? And that'll, I'll think, why did I set that for 10.02? Right, that's for Luke chapter 10, verse 2. And then it prompts him just to pray. And if he's in a meeting, he just does it silently and says, Lord, just pray that today that you'd stir up more people to work in your harvest fields, whatever that is, wherever that is. 
Maybe it's in my area of my life, in my neighborhood. And so he just uses that as a prayer prompt in some way. And, and you might want to design your own prayer prompt and just set a reminder for it. Maybe you've got uh, a discernment decision that you need to make coming up in this season. And you just set alarm on your phone every day and say, all right, I'm going to spend a little bit of time just talking to God about that every day at a time that works for you, whether you're early morning or late night or middle of the afternoon. Maybe you've got a, a family member in a place of significant need and you just put their name and have it reoccur as a daily alarm on your phone comes up and you just know, okay, I'm going to spend just a moment talking to God about them. Maybe it's someone who's sick or who's struggling or wayward. Just make it a habit of engaging in prayer for them. Because if you're anything like me, if you just say, oh yeah, I'm going to remember to pray for them. If you only remember to pray for them when you remember, you, they may not get as much prayer coverage in, your, in 2022 as you desire in your heart. So how are you going to take that desire and intention and actually put it into the place of making it a routine in your life? Maybe use a calendar or a reminder alarm. Third quick idea is uh, if you want to make prayer a habit, one of the ways that this might be profitable for you is to actually engage your body in the action of prayer. Even though I am a morning person, I find praying in the mornings hard. I find it that, A, I'm not quite yet up, and so my mind is still quite scattered. And then as coffee begins to go through me, and I begin to get a little more organized, then I shift into this thinking about my day. And so my mind begins to race through my day and think about the appointments I have, the things that I need to get done that day. And before you know it, I'm sort of whoosh off into my day. And so one of the habits that I find that can be helpful to kind of arrest that process or punctuate it for just a few moments is after I'm up and before I get into my sort of rushing part of my day is just to spend a few moments kneeling. And something about that physical posture of kneeling actually says to my mind, we're not yet ready for your day. We're going to pause here for a moment and just gather our thoughts and talk to God for just a moment. And, and it's become a little bit of a habit of putting my body into the posture that I want to get my soul in for the day. And it's a posture of submission. It also makes my middle-aged knees hurt just a little bit, and so it helps to keep my mind from wandering too far into my day because I have to stay present and connected with that moment. And so you might want to try that, kneeling for prayer. It doesn't need to be a long, drawn-out thing. It can just be a few moments where you punctuate your morning or your midday or your evening and pray. Uh, another prayer practice with our bodies, Constance uh, led us through this at our prayer gathering, uh, which we have every week upstairs from 9.45 till 10.15. Dale led us through it this morning. Um, but Constance led us through an exercise that she called Palms Up, Palms Down. And she invited us to take our hands and to actually hold our palms upward and to, and to just think about someone or something that we wanted to pray for and just kind of hold the weight of that need in our palms and just imagine for a few moments that person or that need. And so we paused and, and asked the Lord to bring things to our mind. And then 
after we spend a few more moments in silence, she said, okay, now I'm going to invite you to actually turn your palms down as an act of releasing that to the Lord. So you've had the weight, now you're going to release that to Jesus and let God carry that. And just that physical activity for me was quite helpful. I could begin to imagine people in my life that I wanted to pray for and that, that I was concerned for in some way. Needs, challenges, and they all kind of started to feel really heavy all of a sudden. And then that act of just turning my palms upside down at the invitation of the Holy Spirit and just saying, Lord, I choose to release those to you. I'm going to let you carry those was quite meaningful. And so we want to think about other embodied practices for engaging yourself in prayer. These can be helpful ways of contending, connecting our body to what we want to do, our intentions. And that's why, um, just as an aside note, some people here at Jericho find it uh, very helpful to raise their hands in worship when they're singing because that's an act of physically expressing with our bodies what they want to express with their mouths as well. Or why Michael Savage Jr. dances because he's got the joy of Jesus in him and it is just going to come out in an embodied way. And I love that about Michael so thanks for leading us in that, Michael. So, habit number one, compassion. Habit number two, prayer. Habit number three, generosity. Jesus, as we study and trace his life through the gospel accounts, he is always practicing an abundance mentality. And he's warning us regularly against seeking comfort and security in other things like finances or a solid future. And again, this is not necessarily an action or set of actions. It's a mindset with Jesus. Jesus lived with this strong sense that God was good, that God was abundant, and that God longed to give good gifts to God's children. And so Jesus moved through his life and through his day-to-day -day rhythms with this as a fixed point in his orientation. He would do things like feed the multitudes. And when he did, he didn't make, although he could have, the exact right amount to feed every single person there. He made enough for leftovers. When he went to the wedding feast at Canaan, he loved and lived generously in that space. He spent his time generously, and he guarded his heart and cautioned us to guard our hearts against non generosity. In his teaching ministry, for example, in Luke chapter 23, verses 25, Jesus talks about this very clearly. Jesus said to the crowd, Luke 9, 23, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross daily Jesus had in his mind a daily set of activities and mentality. And follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? See, here again, Jesus is tapping into the dailiness of this sense of habit. Take up your cross, not just once, Jesus says, but on an ongoing 
repeated daily basis. And we see also in this text this notion that we talked about last week, that Jesus calls for us both to, that there are things for us to embrace, but there are also things for us to resist. There are habits and patterns. We need to resist in this text, Jesus says, the grip, the tight grip that often we have on our lives or our future. We need to be open to giving up our own way and following Jesus into the unknown. And friends, in particular, this is a word for us in this season where so many things feel and seem unknown. Jesus challenges us, where do we find our security? We're going to sing a song in a few minutes that asks us that question. Where do we find our sense of hope and peace? And the invitation is not to seek it in just a bunch of good works, just doing a bunch of great habits so that God will somehow love us, but to rest in the invitation of what Jesus has done for us. And I want to just remind us every single week as we go through this series on habits, that habits are not sort of the new legalism that we're promoting in any way. Uh, Justin Early says this well in his book, The Common Rule, uh, that if you, quote, place habits before love, you will be full of legalism. But if you place love before habits, you will be full of the gospel. God's love for us really can change the way that we love, but the way that we live will never change God's love for us. And this breeds, friends, the fourth habit that we see in the life of Jesus, a profound posture of humility. Whether washing feet or choosing seating arrangements for a wedding, Jesus modeled a posture of service. And so the question that that prompts for me is, does my life look like that of a person who is open to and willing to serving others? Sometimes I see serving as an interruption to my agenda or plans, but I'm asking God to work on my heart in this area and give me grace and give me more humility. And I'm sure we could explore more habits that Jesus pursued, but we'll finish with the fifth one, and that is that Jesus regularly had a habit of inviting others to experience God's love. Jesus was profoundly intentional as he went through his days of extending invitation and seeking out those who were on the margins. And in Jesus' culture, this was people like children or women or tax collectors or prostitutes or lepers. He regularly went out of his way to eat with people who were outsiders. He regularly touched people who were considered unclean. And he always, when he did it, did it with that desire and that expressed intent to invite them to experience the love of God. And friends, I don't know where you're at on your spiritual journey today or what's led you to this place. You may see yourself as an outsider. You may see yourself as one who is on the margins. And I want you to hear in a fresh way today, an open and clear invitation to know God's love and to experience what it's like to be part of God's family. And you can do that by praying and saying yes to Jesus, believing in your heart, the scripture says, that God's work 
in and through Jesus, what Jesus did was enough for you to experience forgiveness so that you don't have to stay on the outside. You're welcome to be a part of God's family. And that's an invitation not just from God, but also from us here at Jericho Ridge. Regardless of your baggage or your history or your past, we welcome and invite you to journey with us as we learn as a community to experience God's love together. Ron and the worship in song team is coming, and as they prepare to lead us in our regular practice and pattern here, and that is to respond to God's word and God's love to us, I want you to take a moment and examine your own life. Just look at your own rhythms and actions and attitudes and ask the question, what do your daily habits say about your priorities and about your values? Jesus' daily habits were built on the rhythm and the framework of compassion and prayer and generosity and humility and radical welcome and invitation to God's love. And Jesus said, a tree is defined by its fruits, and those fruits come from the good things that we put into the storehouses of our lives. And so what good things, Jericho, are you committed to putting into the soil of your life so that good things can grow and so that God can be glorified? Let's pray together. God, we thank you first and foremost for the love that you have shown to us in Jesus. We know what love is. We can sing about love. We can demonstrate love to other people only because you first showed us love. And so we pause to say thank you and orient our hearts again in a position of receptivity to your love. And out of that place of a, an experience of your love for us, God, a knowledge of your love, we want to live as those who demonstrate that love to others. And so, God, would you give us creativity in the expression of that? Would you bring conviction in those areas of our lives where we are out of alignment with maybe some of the habits and some of the practices that would grow us in our maturity and in our love for you and for others? We want to turn away from those things and we don't want to just replace them with sort of a set of good, righteous activities. We want to replace them with a deepening sense of desire to love you more. Stir that up in our hearts, Lord. Deepen our desire to know and to love you in this season, in this day, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. I'll remind you of our regular practice and pattern here at Jericho, and that is that we always want to be available to pray with and for you. And so in our gatherings here, we have people that are always assigned and ready. They've prepared themselves, their own hearts, to be ready to pray with and for you. And so today, that's Sylvia uh, and Dale Moore and myself will be available at the back. And if you're joining us uh, online, then uh, you can email prayer at jerichoridge.com and we would love to respond to you in that space 
as well. The invitation is open not just to conversation with us, but also to conversation with God. And so I'd invite you, friends, to make a habit of saying yes. And so as we move into this time of worship in song, I invite you to just take whatever physical posture you'd like to do to respond to God. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can raise your hands, whatever it is that you want to say to God and and put your body in that place of active response. We invite you to do that. Let's respond in worship.